Our text this, this morning is found in the book of the Revelation, in chapter 21, the last chapter of the last book of the New Testament. We'll be reading verses 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. For the former things have passed away. And he who sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the fountain of the water of life without payment. He who conquers shall have this heritage, and I shall be his God, and he shall be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, and for murderers, fornicators, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their lot shall be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur which is the second death. Richard Baxter was a very effective pastor in the 17th century in England. He's well known for his book, The Reformed Pastor. Not many people know, however, that Richard Baxter labored for all the years of his life under tremendous pain. He had frequent nosebleeds constant cough, headaches, digestive ailments, kidney stones, gallstones. He believed in supernatural healing. He testified several times that God had delivered him out of a deadly disease to keep on ministering by a direct intervention. In fact, he told a story one time of entering the pulpit and he could see in the looking glass a big cancerous tumor on the back of his throat that vanished while he was preaching and testifying to the grace of God. And yet, all his life, from the age of 21 on, he testified, there's never been an hour almost when I have been without pain. One of the effects on Richard Baxter's life is that it made him keenly aware of how short life is and how certain death is and how precious heaven is. When he was 35 years old, he became what he thought was mortally ill. And he was on his bed, and he thought he was dying. And he formed a habit, which as it turned out, lasted for 40 years, because he didn't die. And the habit was meditating a half an hour a day on the glories of heaven. And the reason he formed this habit and maintained this habit is because of the profound effect that it had on his life, keeping him awake to the things of God and to the brevity of this life. 
He wrote down those reflections in those days, and they became a book called The Saints' Everlasting Rest, which is still in print 300 years later to testify to the power of this man's vision of what he had seen of God's glorious hope for the believer. He commended it to us that we would take time each day to set our minds on heaven. And this is the way he said it. If you would have light and heat, why are you not more in the sunshine? For want of this recourse to heaven, your soul is as a lamp not lighted, and your duty as a sacrifice without fire. Fetch one coal daily from this altar and see if your offering will not burn. Keep close to this reviving fire and see if your affections will not be warm. Now that's good advice. I think it's the same advice that Paul gave in Colossians chapter 3. He said, following up on last Sunday's message, as it were, If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Now, I want to ask you, do you do that? Do you obey that? How frequently do you set your mind on things that are above and dwell there? How frequently do you seek the future? Do you seek the age to come? Do you look to where your life is hid with Christ in God and anticipate the glory that will be you when you come with Him? And you in your true life are revealed. We are so addicted to the world. So I just want to invite you with Richard Baxter to do what he did and every day to set your mind on things that are above. And I want you to repudiate with me a lie that goes like this. Well, if you spend time thinking about heaven, if you dwell on the age to come and the glories of your hope, you're going to become of no earthly good whatsoever. Now, that's a lie. It's a common one. I think exactly the opposite is the case. It's the people who know their hope who know that their destiny is rock solid and sure, who know that their destiny is glorious, who are free to take risks of love, free to let good and kindred go, this mortal life also, the body they may kill, God's truth abideth still. I've got a destiny, I've got a future, I cannot die. Mark it. It is not the people who have that hope, 
who have that security, who live in that confidence, who live their lives gathering treasures on earth and ignore the needs of people. It's people who are free, who don't need money, who don't need comforts, who don't need worldly acclaim because they've got it all in Jesus, who are free to take risks for others. First Peter says, when people ask you a reason for the hope that is in you, be ready to give an answer. Now, have you ever had anybody ask you a reason for the hope that is in you? Look at your behavior and say, my, what hope must be behind that behavior? Well, I ask you, what, what kind of behavior would that be? If somebody jumps out of an airplane, you don't jump out behind them with no parachute. Two dead people aren't better than one. So somebody falls out of an airplane with no parachute on, you might jump out after them if you have a parachute on and you try one of those bullet dives to catch them. So they're falling kind of loose and stopping a lot of air, 110 miles an hour maybe. And you go bullet-like, 150 miles an hour maybe. You might do that because the security and the hope of this parachute free you for that kind of love, free you for that kind of risk-taking. So if somebody's in the airplane and they see you about to jump and they ask you what's the reason for the hope that you have to jump out of this airplane to try to catch somebody? What's the reason for your hope? You say, the parachute. It's called the hope of glory. The parachute. That's my hope. And then you jump. Now I want to ask you, what, what kind of lifestyle will move people to ask you questions like that about your hope? Gathering money? No, because they'll assume money is your hope. Gathering comforts? Comforts are your hope. Spending all your time watching television? No, television is your hope. Hope frees for a radical new lifestyle. So I want to call you with Richard Baxter, and I want to call you with the Apostle Paul, if you have been raised with Christ. If your life is hid with Christ in God, out there, secure, it's done, absolutely, you cannot die. You cannot lose. If it's that sure, I want to invite you, set your mind on things that are above. Seek the things that are above where Christ is seated. Let your mind dwell on the glories of the age to come. And you know what will happen? You will become a free person. And free people are dangerous people to the kingdom of Satan because they don't ask cautionary questions about what it will cost in this life. They throw that to the wind and they love and they sacrifice and they go and they serve and they change the world. This world of all things, of all things, can you imagine that? People in love with heaven are the ones that are free to change this world. Paul and Jesus 
And Baxter and I want Bethlehem to be free to change Minneapolis. And you won't do it unless you set your mind on the future and know it's taken care of. It's done. Now, this text is a description of that future, and I just want to unpack about four ways that your future and your life are going to be made radically new when God makes all things new. Verse 5 of the text says, Behold, I will make all things new. And he reinforces that promise in two ways. One, he who sat upon the throne said, in other words, this is the God of the universe talking here, the throne sitter over all the universe and all the galaxies and all the trillions of light years of expanse that he flung into being with the word of his mouth. He sits on the throne of the universe and he says to you, I will make everything new. Everything, And the way he reinforces it, secondly, is by saying, write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. In other words, on both sides of that great promise, he puts a reinforcement, a throne on one side and an oath on the other. They're true. Why? Because he wants you right now, as you hear these words coming out of my mouth, he wants you to believe them. He wants you to feel them. He wants you to walk out of here so confident that everything is going to be made new. This world is going to be new. No more AIDS. No more leprosy. No more leukemia. No more arthritis. No more pain. It's going to be new. All things are going to be new. Now, let me take four specifics. Number one, you are going to be made spiritually, morally new. What is the biggest frustration in the believer's life? Well, I'll tell you the biggest frustration in this believer's life. Sin. The biggest frustration in the life of God's people is that we still sin. It isn't sickness. It isn't job. It isn't family. It's me. I'm my biggest frustration. Sin is my biggest frustration. I want to be holy and I fall short of being holy. I want to love and hurtful things come out of my mouth. I want to be a man of peace and I'm agitated and anxious. It's sin that's the biggest frustration. And we want to be done with it. Doesn't your heart cry out? I want to be done with it. Romans 7 says, I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members... This is a big one. This is read about in James 3. This is, the, this is a big one. That one right there. That member is a fire that sets on fire a forest and is set on fire by hell. That's James 3. We read that at the breakfast table this morning. Can you imagine? I mean, that sounds like inflammatory rhetoric. 
This member, this tongue is set on fire by hell. He's talking to believers. I find in my members a law at war with the law of my mind. And I say, I want to be done with that war, don't you? I just want to be done with the war. And this text, I believe, promises us that it's coming. Look at verse 2. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Now that's a picture of the church, the bride of Christ, as a city. And the beautiful thing about it is that this bride is now prepared She's beautified, adorned for her husband. Look at verses 9 through 11 for the same picture, and it's more specific. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of seven last plagues and spoke to me saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb, that is the church and Jesus. And in the Spirit he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem. Same image, picturing the church as a city. Coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God. Well, that's good. It's radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Now, I love that image. I don't know about you, but I love that image because if you're like me, you long for the day when you could take yourself and stand yourself before anybody in the universe, God included, as a totally open, laid bare human being and have all eyes see right through you, right through you. Not any secrets at all. A rare jewel. Clear as crystal. Everybody right through you and no shame. Not one millimeter of embarrassment. Wouldn't that be the greatest feeling in the world? To be totally open, totally free, have no hidden Skeletons in the closet. Nothing you said this morning that you wouldn't mind shouted from the housetops. Free. Totally. Right through you. Everybody looking right through you. And pure as crystal. Well, that's what's promised to you in this text. The biggest frustration of the church is going to stop being a frustration when Jesus comes. Number two. We are going to be physically and bodily made new and glorious. Now, the Bible does not teach that the goal of our destiny and our happiness is disembodied spirits. I think little children can sometimes get the impression of heaven as a woo, spooky, ghosty place where there are no bodies, nothing familiar, just, just ghosts, kind of voices. That is not the biblical hope. Plato wanted that. Plato thought the body was a dead weight, ruining the spirit, holding it fast, keeping it down. And of course it is, but not the body that will be. 
God's solution to that problem is say, oh good, separate spirit and body, throw the body out, keep the spirit, and we'll all go to whatever this thing is out there that has no dimensions. That's just not the biblical hope. The biblical hope is resurrection of the body. Verse 4 points this way. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. No death, no pain, no tears. Well, knowing my body, i got to have another one if that's going to come true. Because this body's going to die, this body hurts, this body cries. And you could say, well, the problem is just get rid of the body. Well, sure, that's one philosophical way to get rid of it. It's just not the biblical way. The biblical way is I make all things new, including this fleshy body. It's going to come out of the grave and be made new. Remember last week's text? If we have been grown together, united together in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Well, what was his like? They saw him. They held his feet. He ate fish. That's the kind of body we will have. Philippians 3.20 Our commonwealth is in heaven. And from it, we await a Savior who will transform the body of our lowliness into a body like His glory, with the power by which He is enabled to subdue all things to Himself. In other words, when God says, I will make all things new, He means your body. Now this is precious. This is really precious. Because as much as you might like to be philosophical, you don't want to lose it. You don't want to lose it. And as much as you think you got a raw deal when the bodies were passed out, and some did, it seems, there are horrible deformities in the world. We don't see them. They, they stay hidden. There are lost limbs. There are paralyses. Some people can't hear. Some people can't see at all. Never have been able to see. There are skin blemishes that are so horrible people never darken or never go out of the dark, keep themselves veiled. There are freakish distortions in the world. And what I want to declare to the whole range of bodily ailments and bodily deformities is that God Almighty has no intention of leaving anybody in that condition who trusts in Him. God has no intention of leaving anybody in that condition who trusts in Him. Number three. God is going to make the creation new and glorious. Verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. 
Now, I don't think that means he's going to take us to a new solar system. Scrap this one, go to a new one. And the reason I don't think that is because the, the prophetic hope through the whole Bible is this world is our destiny and it's going to be made new. And the lion is going to lie down with the lamb. And babies are going to play on the holes of the snake. And we're going to beat our swords into plowshares. The whole image is this world is your home. In spite of what the Negro spiritual says, this world is our home. Now, of course, they just mean this age. But this age is going to become the age to come. And this world is going to be a new earth. And those skies are going to be a new heaven. And we will dwell in righteousness and in peace right here. You grow up having the image, well, I'm going away to heaven. Well, right, but heaven's coming down. That's the whole point of Revelation 21. The, it's coming down. You go away, it comes down. We're going to live here forever. But there's a problem. God has made you spiritually, morally, translucent, pure, holy, perfect, irreproachable, and... He has made your body new now, like the body of Jesus. But this creation, according to Romans 8, is futile. It is shot through with brokenness and futility. It isn't fit for people like you. And therefore, Romans 8.21 says, The creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the liberty of the glory of of the children of God. You set the pace for creation. Your liberty is what the creation is crying out for. God gives liberty from all deformity and all malady and all pain and all futility first to you, the church, the people of God. And then he looks at creation, all creation, and he says... I better fix this thing because I want these people to have a perfect environment in which to live that's suitable to them forever and ever and ever. And that's what he does when he makes all things new. One last thing. God will make our relationship with him new and glorious. Verse 4. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they shall be his people and God himself will be with them. Isn't God already with us? Jesus said, I will be with you to the end of the age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Do you not know that the Spirit dwells in you? So what does he mean here? I will be with you. I will come. Paul in 2 Corinthians 5 said this, While we are at home in this body, we are away from the Lord. Away? That true. That too is true. Away from the Lord. And the next verse says, We walk by faith and not by sight. How many little children have you heard say, and how many times have they said, But Daddy, I can't see Him. I can't see Him. I can't see Jesus. 
can't see God. It's hard to believe. Don't ever, as you're sitting on the edge of the bed, say in a glib and quick way, oh, you'll get over that. You'll get used to that. Well, that doesn't matter. Well, that's not important. Don't ever talk like that. You know what that means? It means you stop being like a child. Because you know what I feel like this morning? I want to see him. I'm not satisfied. Are you satisfied with an invisible God and an invisible Jesus? If he said to you, that's all you get. You get my Holy Spirit and you get my abiding spiritual presence forever. That's it. I would say, no, it's not enough. And that's why I'm willing to say to my sons, I know, I know, me too. God will give you the grace. He'll give you evidences of his reality. We walk by faith. We don't walk by sight. But there's coming a day. Look at chapter 2, verse 22. Just the next chapter over. 22, verse 4. They shall see his face. Oh, there it is. There's coming a day when... I'm going to look God right in the face. And don't ask me how I'm going to avoid being consumed. He will figure out some wonderful spiritual asbestos there that will be nice and invisible. But I'm going to look him right in the face. And for the rest of my life, my soul will be pure. My body will be perfectly whole. My environment will be perfectly suited to me and I will walk with the living God who made all things forever and ever. That's the hope I hold out to you this morning. I hope and I pray that God creates thirst in you. Let's pray. Father, my heart's desire and prayer to you now is that the unbelieving might be saved as you create thirst and create faith. I praise you that there is one day going to be no more night, no more pain, no more crying again. Minister to us now as we wait upon you and look to you.